0: Welcome to the Harbor Church podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. All right, who's ready to say, not today, Satan? You guys ready? Good morning, Harbor Church. My name is Josh. I am the pastor here. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, or maybe you're tuning in online, checking us out that way, thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, It's my privilege to get to be the pastor of this church, and um, man, I'm excited to jump into today's message. Before we do, I got to get Might as well just get this over with. All right. All right. Choke it up. That's fine. (laughs) Here's what you need to know about your pastor. I have a big mouth. Um, If that's surprising to you, you haven't been here very long. Um, Here's what you don't see is normally when I talk about how great the Patriots are, I get other pastors to wear Patriots stuff at their churches all over the country. I've got pictures that I've been saving of pastors in Texas who talk cowboy trash and then they had to wear Patriots jerseys in front of their congregation. I may have talked a little bit of trash before that last playoff game. It's okay. It's okay, because I'm actually cheering for the Titans today. I want the team that beat us to win it all. Um, and uh, Vrabel played for the Patriots, so in some small way, I feel like we're still winning. I don't know. Something like that. But, uh, and I thought it tied in, you know, we're talking about Satan, and uh, I'm not wearing everything I want to wear. All right. So let me jump into today's passage as uh as we can Oh, I, I want to give a shout out for this shirt. This is because of uh, our partnering church, Victory Baptist Church, down in Tennessee, in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Um, if you're watching, there you go. Um, but we love you guys. Thank you guys, Pastor Chuck, and uh, all of their people there. They sent so many different work teams up here. Uh, to Cape Cod. Um, over eight different missions teams came up during the couple years that we were building this building uh, from their team group to a bunch of their men's groups just to come up and love on us. And uh, they've had such a part in building this building and getting Harbor up off the ground that we are like, I mean, we are family. And so I don't mind making a bet with a family member and losing every once in a while. I promise you I will send something of their staff wearing Patriots gear one day. One day, um, but I love you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, anyways, let's get back to our series on not today, Satan. If you haven't been here for this, we've been talking about our adversary. We've been talking about the fact that every single one of us has an enemy, and maybe you weren't aware of it, or maybe you weren't aware of how much he's your enemy. The Bible's very clear to name him and to try to give us as much help in overcoming his his tactics. He is a master at bringing you down. He has he has more experience and more knowledge and more capability uh, at destroying you, ripping you apart, finding ways to discourage you, finding ways to make you feel so broken that you're not useful, finding ways to attack your relationships. This is what he has done, and this is what he is good at. So if you're listening to me this morning or watching this morning, and you think, ah, not me, I'm good. No. No. That's where he wants you, thinking that he's not real, or thinking that he's not going to attack you, or thinking that you're not vulnerable. When you get to that place, you're insanely vulnerable. That's where you're at. at some of your weakest is when you think you don't have to be worried about anything, or when you think that you don't have to uh, protect yourself. It's probably the way to say that. Um, I think he wants us living in fear and in worry. Um, Jesus wants us to be aware, but you don't have to go around um, afraid of the devil. You have to go around... Putting your trust in the power that is Jesus who has overcome the devil. And this is where we struggle. When we're not aware of the ways that he pulls us down, um, we fall into it that much easier. I I shared with you last week uh, how he began to manipulate from the very beginning all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He goes to Eve and he begins to try to get her to eat the fruit that God told her not to eat. And he starts by. Asking her if God even said that, and then he twists what it is that God says back to Eve, and finally he, he he just flat out tells her, no, God was lying to you. And we we read in Genesis chapter three that he goes to her, and in verse number five he actually says, yeah, God told you all that because he knows that if you eat that fruit, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to get so much more knowledge if you eat that, Eve. He's, you're going to find out so much, you're going to be like God, and he's just jealous. He doesn't want you to know good and evil. Right now, all you know is good, and God knows everything, and he doesn't want you to know everything because he's selfish. You should eat it. That's where we left off last week. I wanted to pick up, and that's, we're not going to stay in, in the Garden of Eden today, but I wanted to, I wanted to pick up with the, the very next verse. Eve gives in. She eats the fruit. Adam comes. He eats the fruit. That's known as the fall of man. When mankind sinned against God, did something they weren't supposed to. Verse number six, right after Satan makes his case, verse number six, verse number six says, the woman, the woman saw that the tree was beautiful. She looked at it. She saw that its fruit was delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took that fruit, and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband. That was Adam, and he ate it too. Excuse me. <clears throat> so this is the fall of man. <clears throat> what do you see in this Verse. What do you see that they describe for us on the verse that is the fall of mankind? We see woman or Eve and eventually Adam look at the tree, see that it's beautiful, see that it looks delicious, and then really want the wisdom that it would give her. Satan attacked her in multiple areas. We talked about this last week. You need to go watch the message on on how he is a deceiver and how he'll, he'll, he'll lie to you. But he got her to the place where she had the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And this is what John t- talks about. If you're not familiar with this passage in 1 John chapter 2, John is making sure to tell the church, listen, the world's going to come at you with a lot of stuff. The world is going to offer to you a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything that you can see. And a pride in your own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And we read uh, earlier in this series that Satan is the father of this world or the Lord of this world. He's the God of this temporary planet. All the darkness and all the heaviness that you see is because he's the one pulling the strings. And in his plan, his plan is to attack you the same way he attacked Eve. The same way he got Eve to go, hey, that tree, man, I see that tree. And it looks delicious. And I want that wisdom. The same way he attacked her for the the things that appeal to your eyes, the things that appeal to your flesh, and the things that appeal to your pride. So would you bring John back up for me, please? John says it this way. The world offers a craving, not a satisfaction, by the way. You start chasing it, and many of of you in here and watching... Should admit right now that you have been chasing and that you continue to have the craving no matter how much you indulge in it. You have pursued the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, the pride of your life. You've indulged in that craving and then you were satisfied and never went after it again. Oh, wait a second. Well, what is the verse telling us? It's in, in just the way he's trying to present it. It's, it's designed to continue to make you want more. When you begin to feed your flesh, and that could look a lot of different ways, you don't all of a sudden go, oh, that's enough. I'm good. Now you got to push it. And I'll tell you this, and, and those of you that, that are sitting next to somebody that might need some encouragement, if you know this to be true, don't, don't leave me hanging here. When you begin to pursue your flesh, your flesh wants to push the envelope the next time. Your flesh begins to say, hey, that wasn't as good as last time. Let's do a little bit more. Let's do a little bit more. Let's do a little bit more. And that's why we drift further and further away. Sat- Satan is a master deceiver. He doesn't, he's not going to tell you, hey, I want you to go throw yourself off a cliff. He'll just give you one little step, one little step. And you're like, yeah, I'm not, I mean, not going to walk off the cliff, but well, this does look nice. And he gets you to keep flirting with it until you're so blinded by your cravings That you put yourself in a place that destroys your reputation destroys your relationships you begin to look around and go what have i done with myself because you pursued the things you see the things you want and the pride that you can get out of being all that you can be and everything that i just read is absolutely the attack plan of satan in this world you today and throughout this week are going to struggle well, that stuff that Pastor Josh was talking about, the stuff the Bible warned me about, seems to be in direct contradiction with what the world is telling me I need to pursue. Yes. Well, everything around me, all the people I work with, everything I read, everything I watch, everything I listen to is telling me to go look out for me, for me to get more, for me, for me to be better, for me to have this, for me. Yes, that's exactly the world's plan. Expect that everything we talk about will be in direct competition with how you feel at work or at home or just when you're alone. Your flesh is is designed to go this way and the world is feeding that so much. I've got like 35 minutes to combat the other six and a half days of the week where you're bombarded with the exact opposite. So let's, let's lean into it. Here's the, here's the part that, I, that I'm excited about. Because talking about Satan, man, that's heavy. Ugh. But as much as Satan was successful in this game plan to pull down Eve, and as much as he is finding success with you and I and with the rest of mankind with that exact same game plan, we do have an example of when that doesn't work. Satan went and tried it on a man named Jesus, that exact same plan, and we get to read about how it doesn't always work. And this is the cool part about the Bible. I want you to understand something, and somebody sent me something this week that I thought was a great reminder. When we talk about Satan and Jesus and what all the darkness in this world and all that God has for us, this isn't Star Wars. There isn't a dark side and a light side and man they're pretty close. It's yeah, there's a lot of dark in this world. And it is nothing in comparison. They're not co-equals where it's like hanging in the balance like maybe if God just like gets one good swing in he can be No, God is up here, Satan is down here. The deception is it's like they're so close that there's oh it's just it's teetering in the... No. No, this is where God is. He holds all things in His power, and even Satan is subject to Him. We'll get to that when we talk about Job later in this series. But understand that He doesn't want you to understand that He doesn't want you to believe in or find the power and the strength and the victory that is in Jesus. He wants you to assume, uh, you know, it's a coin toss. You, you know, you could go over here and be just as good. No, you can't. In the end, God wins. He doesn't want you to see it because he wants you to believe that you can just play both ways. Here's what happens when he takes on Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screens uh, behind me, uh, or on the screen for you guys there at home. But if you have a Bible, turn to Luke. You can find this in Matthew chapter 4, but you can also find this in Luke chapter 4. This is called the temptation of Jesus. Let's read it together. Verse number 1 says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan River. Jesus just got baptized. Just got baptized. Side note, if Jesus can get baptized, you should get baptized. I don't know if it's for me. Jesus got baptized. He was perfect. Ain't nobody in this room perfect. Get baptized. All right. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, Hey, if you're the Son of God... Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Well, then the devil took him up and he revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I'll give you the glory of all the kingdoms and authority, all of them. I'll make you king of this world, Jesus, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone, anyone I please. And I'll give it all to you if you'll just worship me. And Jesus replied, well, the scriptures also say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, well, if you're really the son of God, then just jump off. Prove it. For the scriptures say, he'll order his angels to protect you and to guard you, and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test or tempt the Lord your God. And then the devil had finished tempting Jesus. He left him until the next opportunity came. There is so much to unpack here. I don't have time to give you a breakdown verse by verse. I did a, a three part series when we were back at the basement. You can go find it on our video archives. It's called Lured. It's got a little fishing lure on it and talks about each of these in depth, a little bit more in depth. And one service on one temptation isn't enough. Um, there's so much more here. But let me just walk through quickly in this today's message and how Satan comes after us. He came after Eve. He comes after us by, by appealing to our eyes, by appealing to our flesh, and by appealing to our pride. And if you do not realize that you are susceptible to every single one of those, you're, you're living in a delusion. And that's probably also something that Satan is loving that you don't even think you need this message. Every single one of us need this. Let's start off with how he thinks. Tactically, he doesn't, he's not just like, oh, I guess I'll attack Jesus today. He waits. For Jesus to be in a place where he thinks he's got the advantage. Where is Jesus when this, when this attack takes place? Let's go back to verse number one. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jeshubon, this wilderness, is this the same place that John the Baptist was, was known to hang out in. This is a desolate place, a very broken place, very uninhabited place. It's just filled with dangers, lots of hot sand heat rocks snakes nothing that you would enjoy being around nobody really truly lived there very few because of how messed up it was there was a path that went through it that usually had robbers and and bandits on it but like you you just didn't hang out there this is where jesus chooses to go jesus is there full of the holy spirit alone and i want to key in on this because he could have attacked and he does he does mess with jesus a lot don't don't get me wrong Uh, There's more temptations that actually tells us he, he waits for another time. But his big attack was when he thought he had Jesus alone. Do you understand? Satan loves to find that isolated, detached person. He loves that about you. He loves when you are isolated, when you are alone. He loves to find you without any backup. It tells us that we're in spiritual warfare. If I want to beat somebody, do I really want them rolling with a posse? No. (laughs) I'm going to wait for that straggler soldier who wandered off. Now they're all alone. They're no longer an army. They're very vulnerable. There's something to 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 having a friend who has your back. There's something to going into this life knowing that you've got other people to pick you up if you get knocked down. Satan hates that. He is looking for the person who is isolated. He's looking for the recluse in this group. He's looking for you to not have surrounded yourself with the backup that you need, the reinforcements that you need. God has designed you to be a social person. God has designed you to live in community. God has designed you, especially spiritually, to be plugged into a body so that you can use your gifts, but as well as be fed and protected by the rest of the body. That's how God's designed you. And Satan whispers to you, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need them. You don't need this. Other people might. Weaker people might. But you, you're strong enough. You got this on your own. He loves to make you think you don't need exactly what it is that God planned for you. God knew that you need a community, so Jesus sets up and launches the church. The church is a called-out group of believers, people who come together to worship because we need that encouragement. We need that backup. I don't know what kind of week you had. Maybe it was awesome. (laughs) Maybe you're here today going... Oh, man, I'm going to stick for two services. I don't want to go back out there. Like, I, I get it. There's there's up there's highs and lows, but God's designed you to be a part of something bigger. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews is trying to warn the church, don't take it lightly. Don't neglect getting together. Don't neglect the meeting together where we get to come together and encourage each other, especially now as, as we know that Jesus is coming back. Don't, don't be that person who's like, I'll just do it on my own. I'm good. No, listen, I told you, and I've admitted this. I talked about it in the Haunted series. I talk about it all the time. I'm not naive, church is weird. I almost said something else. Church is really <laughs> jacked up, right? If you're here going, I don't know, I don't feel comfortable at church all the time. I get it, I don't either. Some of the people in this room are really awkward. <laughs> not you, not you. The person sitting next to you. The, The best part about coming together in community is the people. They're going to build you up and support you. But it's also the hardest part about coming together in community, the people. They're going to push you and challenge you and annoy you and take your seat. All the things that you're like, I don't need this. And Satan's right there to go, yeah, you don't need this. Because he loves somebody isolated. He loves somebody disconnected. This is what the Bible says about your need to be a part of something. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 14, there's a big passage. We'll come back to this in a, in a different uh, message. But it says everybody has, many, every, everybody has a lot of different parts, not so just one part. That doesn't sound like a necessary anatomy lesson, right? Like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> Lots of parts to one body. Well, he's not speaking just on the physical body. He's speaking to the church body. And that's why he follows it up with verse number 15. If the foot says, well, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? The foot is just as necessary as the hand. It may not get all the glory or all the attention. It may not feel as, as valuable. But here's the truth about both the hand and the foot. They don't have any value disconnected from the body. Let's just say my hand is more valuable than my foot. Okay. You chop either one of them off, they have no value anymore. They're like, hey, just a hand out here being a solo hand. I got this. I'll take care of me. No, when you disconnect yourself, if you think you're that much better than the rest of it, if you disconnect yourself because you don't need any feet in your life, you don't need other people around you, I'll be on my own. I'll be good. No, you're not. You're cutting yourself off from the very life source that God has for you. Now, if you think, oh, this is just a big old push for Harbor Church, it's not. I don't think the Harbor Church is the church for everybody. It may not be the church for you. You do need to find a church that will feed what it is that God has put in your life. You need to find a church that preaches from the Bible, not people's opinion. You need to find a church that promotes Jesus Christ as the answer, not on any of the traditions or all the junk and garbage that gets in there. Now, it might look different, sound different. Go someplace that, 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 that you connect with. That's fine. Just go someplace that you can find and get on board with the mission and get connected to a body. It won't be perfect because you're there (laughs) and other humans are there and they're led by a human pastor. But here's the truth about bodies is all the body dies when it's disconnected from the head. By the way, I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of the church. I'm his under shepherd, but some of you should also be shepherding other people too. What we're called to do is be connected to him and say, God, how can we gather around with other people and get built up? If you're sitting there going, well, that's easy for you, Josh. You're an extrovert. I, I guess I am. I'm getting up in front of a crowd and speaking, but even if you're thinking, oh, this is all for the introvert to get out of No. I struggle with actually having connected friends where I'm like, hey, I need some help. I, let's talk about this. That's why we created Connect Groups. Our mission at Harbor Church is not to make Harbor Church awesome. Our mission at Harbor Church is to connect people with Jesus and each other. That's what He's called us to do. We came up with connect groups because some of you are so isolated and detached from what God has for you that you're trying to make it through this winter on your own power. And you are wandering off from the army right into the wolf's den. And Satan's like, oh, yeah, no, you're plenty strong. Forget them. You can do this without them. And you just like, dee, 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 dee. and you don't even realize. how how many attacks he has coming for you. That's why you need to be in community. You need to have some people. And listen, I'm not talking about the friends that encourage you to do stupid stuff. Well, I got a lot of friends, Pastor. Yeah, they're idiots. That's why you keep doing stupid stuff. He loves us isolated. He loves us weak. He loves it so that when, when he comes to attack us and he'll... He may not beat you with one attack. He may come at you with dozens and dozens of, di- of different attacks, and we'll talk about that when we get to Job. He, doesn't, he won't just hit you in one area. He'll hit you here and hit you here and hit you here because here's what happens when he hits you. and You're like, oh, I can, I can fight this battle on my own. Well, now he's got you focused in this financial area. He's going to begin to attack your marriage or he's going to begin to attack your schooling or he's going to attack your trust over here or your health over here or whatever. He's going to begin to hit you in areas that you can't beat, do it all on your own. That's why he's called us together. I want to show you a video it is a little bit graphic warning um, but it does speak to this idea of even the strongest of us if we get attacked enough we're vulnerable to be taken down so watch this video and then uh, I'll come back with a, a, a cool verse I think will tie into it <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry. I love it. I love it. So here's the, the point of that video. We all feel like this line I can take on. Well, what's a hyena compared to me? I've got this pastor. I've got, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people. They're like, oh, I got it. This is, I got it. I got it. I'm tough. I've got it. I'm, I've, I'm experienced. I've got this. Yes. Even the toughest of us are going to get depleted of our energy. We're going to come and talk ta- tackle specifically how Satan loves to just deplete us over time. That's a different message, but understand that when when, when we are beginning to get hit, and the Bible said earlier, if you remember when we started this passage, that Satan's going to try a bunch of different tactics, a bunch of different darts or arrows that he's going to fire at you. Even, even a big old lion could only stand up against that many hyenas for so long. It's just going to begin to wear you down. There's some of you in here that have been fighting your battles alone. This is where Jesus says that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll walk with you. But he also tells us we need to be in community. We need to get each other's back. We need friends, godly friends, not perfect friends, because they won't live up to that in your life, and you're not going to live up to that in their life. But godly friends who care about your walk and you developing to be the person that God has called you to be. They're not there to tell you that everything you do is absolutely right, but they're also not there to beat you down over every mistake. They're like, hey, how can you and I get better going forward? This is how you're supposed to be with the people in your life, your family, your close relationships. Too many husbands and wives in their marriage are off solo, and God has said, hey, I've called you to be together. You need to go get her back. You need to go get his back. This is how you're going to help them get through what they're going through. The reason that you that you're, you're feel like you're dying is because you're taking it on by yourself, and I've designed you to be together. And that's not just for people that are married. That's for all of us. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 1. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks or he fights against sound judgment. Well, Josh, Jesus isolated himself. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was called into a time where he fasted, which means he focused 100%. He didn't even eat food. He was so focused on what God's will was for him because he was getting ready to start his earthly ministry. The next three years of Jesus's life after that baptism was him going out and pouring into people. So he set some time aside to just have God pour into him. He didn't do any of the fun stuff. He wasn't on Twitter and he wasn't over there like eating food and he wasn't like surfing the web. He just was like, God, I'm getting away from all the distractions. I'm letting you just just speak to me, get me ready for what I got to go into. And it was during that time that Satan attacked him. You and I are like, well, I'm being like Jesus. I'll be all by myself. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, fasting for forty days. You by yourself are going after your own desires. Let's not uh, be—I'm Jesus. Let's let's be honest. A lot of the times when I push away from people, it's because people annoy me, or I don't have time for it. Did you guys? Did I just tell you something I (laughs) shouldn't tell you? Sorry if that's a surprise. Uh, Like you and I, we we isolate ourselves, or we don't do things because we don't think we need it or we somehow think that we're OK without it. And I'm telling you, the thing that breaks my heart is the people that I visit, whether it's on their deathbed or it's in prison or it's, it's, it's in the middle of going through an incredibly hard thing where they go, I didn't realize how much accountability I didn't have, how many friendships I didn't really have. I didn't realize how many people I had pushed out of my life. These conversations where people have to go through something before they look and go, there wasn't really anything healthy for me don't wait till it's too late to have that revelation have it right now and go God help me push myself out of my comfort zone and get somewhere where people pour into me I'm gonna put it back up there for you because I don't think some of you wrote down the number here's our connect groups doesn't have to be what you do this is just my option for you there's the connect groups if you don't have a group this will do this Go, go and take this and go beyond that. Go find some people. Talk to each other after we dismiss the service instead of running to your car. Make a friend. I know that might be new for some of you. You have those like, flashbacks from like junior high lunch table. You're like, can't do it. Get outside of your comfort zone. Let me also show you this. When Satan attacks Jesus, he attacks him because he wanted him in, his, in a weakened state. Jesus hadn't eaten food for 40 days because he was fasting. So when Satan comes to him, he's like, hey, doesn't this bread sound good? Nobody in here ever been on a carb diet? (laughs) He's like, hey, doesn't that bread sound good? Yeah, bread does. If you're the son of God, that's exactly what he said. Look, look, hey, the devil said to him, verse number three, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Well, if you're the son of God, right? He is the son of God. Does Satan not know who Jesus is? or is Satan beginning to try to twist even in the heart of Jesus? If you really are God's son, God wouldn't let you be hungry right now, Jesus. That's what he's saying. Remember how he said it to Eve? If God really loved you, he'd let you eat all this stuff, Eve. If God really loved you, Jesus, if you're really his son, would you be hungry right now? That's what he's whispering in your minds and my mind as we go throughout our week going, Uh, We go to work. If God really loved you, if God really cared about you, would He he make you go through these hard times? Would He make you have these hard decisions? Would He make you live through these tough relationships? Would He give you these circumstances that are so heavy? If God really loved you, He wouldn't do any of this to you. That's what He's saying. That's how He's challenging us because He wants us to put our faith in ourselves instead of our Father. And man, what a struggle. God did say just just right before this when Jesus gets baptized this is my son whom I'm well pleased and the very first thing that 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 Satan attacks is if you're really God's son you wouldn't be that hungry you just go ahead and turn this bread into this stone into bread Jesus turned water into wine I'm sure he could turn stone into bread and I'm sure he was plenty hungry some of y'all don't go 40 minutes without eating okay 40 days man Satan wanted him weak why does Why does Satan wait till his hunger is so strong in him? There's something about our flesh. There's something about us that we crave things that we shouldn't crave, right? Now, you might be new, and everybody that was new that just sat quietly when I said that, I give you a pass. But the rest of you sinners agree with me when I admit to my faults all right, there's something inside of us that we crave stuff that we don't that we really don't need and Satan loves to play off of that. This is what Romans chapter seven says. I want to draw your attention because I love that Paul said, this is one of my favorite verses. It shouldn't be, but I love it, okay? He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. It's my sinful nature. I want to do what's right. I want to, but I can't. I keep, keep doing stupid stuff. And then he follows it up and he says, not only that, I want to do what's good but I don't, I, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyways. It's not meant to be like a verse. That it's like your mantra. It's not meant to be like, "That's me." <laughs> it's meant to be like, "Yes, you and I screw up a lot, and yes." And it's written by a man who wrote most of the New Testament to let us know nobody's perfect outside of Jesus, and we all have struggles. And even somebody who is walking with God and praying, there's, gonna, there's something inside of you, that sinful nature, that makes it so like, I, I'm trying to do good, and I keep doing bad, and I don't want to do bad, but I do it, and I, tr- I do want to do good, but then I don't. That's inside of all of us. And because that's so strong, Satan loves to wait till you're weak, not just isolated, but weak, hungry. He likes when you're not in the word. He likes when you haven't been to church in a while. He likes when you haven't heard God's promises. You haven't you haven't felt God speak to you. He likes when somebody has hurt your feelings and then didn't return your text message and then this and this because and it piles up, doesn't it? He likes you weak. He likes you to be so vulnerable that you you begin to think everything looks good. Right? Even a rock looks good. Have <laughs> you? If you're 40 days hungry, when you're weak and hungry, you begin to look at things that aren't good for you and begin to justify that they're okay. Come on, no, I'm speaking to somebody today. You begin to go down a road where it's not that bad, just a little bit. It would have been wrong for Jesus to turn that bread, that stone, into bread because it would have been going after his flesh. It would have been going after what his body wanted. That, that lust of the flesh is strong. That looks good to me. I want that. For some of you, it is a sexual thing. For some of you, it is a, it is a food thing. For some of you, it is a financial thing. For some of you, it is, uh, it is a, an indulgence in, your, uh, in, in, a, in a certain craving that you might have. It might be an addiction that you have. We all have a flesh that craves different stuff, but as we tend to give into it, we're, what we're saying is, I trust my desires more than I trust God's plan for me. And so we begin to say yes to things, and we begin to justify things. When we're weak, the wrong things begin to look okay. Also, when we're weak, we don't think straight. When you get distracted, when you get hungry, you don't really process through the way you should. Come on, I'm not the only person who bought pizza rolls um, when they're hungry walking through the store. (laughs) Your wife sent you in there for a gallon of milk, and you're like, well, babe, I came out with like two like, You went in hungry, why would you do that? Well, I was hungry and I wasn't thinking. I was just, that looks good. That looks good. You don't think straight. It's where most of your anger problems have come from. Most of your lust problems have come from. Most of your self-deception, some of the biggest mistakes, sin, choices that you've made, have come when you're in a weakened state and you weren't thinking about what it is that God has for you. A weak soldier also, and here's something that I really want us to think about as a church, a weakened, hungry person. Doesn't take new territory. The soldier that is depleted, the soldier that is lacking energy and food and just tired, he has no desire to conquer a new territory, to take that hill. I ain't got it in me. Come on. God put something on your heart. Hey, I want you to go work on that relationship. I ain't got it in me. Hey, I want you to go, and and I want you to go invest in that person. I ain't got it in me. Hey, I want you to start this good habit. I can't do that. Some of you felt God go, hey, you need to get in a group. You need to go surround yourself. I just don't got it in me. I ain't got the time. I ain't got the energy. I don't have that. A hungry, starving person doesn't want to take new territory. Here's another thing you need to be aware of. It's very hard for the troops that are depleted, that haven't had any resources, the troops that have gone hungry to even hold on to the territory they have got. Not only do you not want to take new territory, you begin to lose ground to your enemy because you don't feel like putting up a fight. There's some of you that have seen some victories, but then you got disconnected from what God has for you. You weren't staying close to him. You weren't plugged in. You weren't getting fed. You weren't growing. And so then even the areas that you were once celebrating, we took this hill, you begin to retreat because I just don't have the energy to fight the enemy anymore. Because Satan doesn't say that when you get a victory, he'll leave you alone. It actually says Jesus beats him and he goes, I'll just wait till later. That's what he did with Jesus. What do you think he's doing with you and I? I think Satan loves that our church has had some insane success. I mean, astronomical, beyond statistical success that a three-year-old church has what God has blessed us with. And what he says is just sit right here. Don't you don't need to take any more territory. He says, Hey, this, this, this a few hundred on a Sunday, that's enough people coming to hear about Jesus. No, it's not. Church, we need to plant more churches. We need to start more services. We need to tell more people. You need to go on mission with your family, with your neighbors not to make harbor famous, to make Jesus famous. We need to take new territory. But what he wants is he wants us to plead depleted going, I don't have to tell them. I don't have to love them. I don't have to really love my actual neighbor, do I?
1: <laughs> not only
0: that, Satan knows that your detachment leads to desperation. And this is what I'm ending on your detachment, the fact that you are out there, you're isolated, you're hungry, you're weak, it will lead to a desperate decision. I hope I'm speaking to somebody who hasn't made that desperate decision yet. You haven't acted out of desperation just yet. You're close. You're ready to do something stupid. King of it right here. Don't go down that path. He loves to get you to a place where All of this, you're weakened, you're you're alone, and and, and then you just don't know what to do. And so he comes at Jesus, he goes, hey, Jesus, you're hungry, fix this problem yourself, turn that stone into bread. Well, that's the lust of the flesh. Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that, can't live by bread alone. Hey, well, then let me fix it. If you don't fix your problems, let Satan fix your problems. I'll give you all this world. Man, lust of the eyes, right? Uh, Man, uh, just just... Look at everything you can see, all of the kingdoms of the world, Jesus. You don't have to die on the cross, Jesus. I'll make you king of the world without you having to do any of that. See how easy? If you're not going to fix your problems, I'll fix your problems. Man, he's hoping Jesus will make a desperate choice. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not going to happen. Then he takes him up to the top of the temple and he says, well, you've been quoting scripture at me, I'll quote scripture at you. God said that he won't let you hurt your feet, that the angels will catch you. So prove it if you're really the son of God, just jump. He's not going to let you get hurt. God's got you. Just jump. Just do something stupid and make God fix it. Do you see how he attacked him? Now it's the pride of life. He comes at him and he goes, hey, listen, fix your own problems. Jesus goes, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Jesus and let me, Satan. I'll fix your problems. Jesus doesn't go for that. Okay. Then let God fix your problems, Jesus. Go. Now you would say, well, that's the answer, right? Did God push Jesus off of the hill? off of the top of the temple Satan was getting Jesus to jump off of the top of the temple to force God to catch him do you understand the difference God says hey I'm with you Jesus I'm protecting you I'm walking with you he doesn't say hey go push me go force my hand go do something stupid and then demand that I fix it am I speaking to anybody today I know there's been times I'm like dear God There's a lot of things broken in my life right now. Would love you to step into them. Not taking any ownership. That's where Jesus says, hey, don't tempt God. You don't, one, you don't take care of things yourself. Two, the ends don't justify the means. The idea that you could just serve Satan and get away with it, that doesn't work. The fact that satan says hey we can skip the cross and you can still be king that that sounds like man i can just do a little wrong in worshiping satan and get all the good of it how many of us in here have given up the right thing because we're like it's just a little bit wrong and the end justifies the means right i'm just going to do a little bit of wrong but it's going to get me so much i'll lie on this resume because then i get the job (laughs) I'm going to cheat over here because then it helps me over here. I'm going to lie to this person because it protects their feelings. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to indulge in this because it takes stress off over here. Got quiet in here. And then to make God prove himself point, that would have been sin as well. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm done. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. Or, as this version says... There's no temptation in your life that's different from something that any, anybody else has gone through. You're not so unique that the thing you're going through, nobody's ever experienced. Some of you have some heartache. Some of you have some diseases. Some of you have some broken relationships. Some of you have some addictions. Some of you have some financial struggles. Some of you have some work issues. Uh, we all have problems. And, and even if you're the worst person in this room, there's somebody else that's gone through some of what you've gone through. And I know some of you are like, I have all those things you mentioned not the point. The point is, it says God is faithful. Now, here's the part that gets misquoted. It says he will not allow you to have a temptation, that when you're temptation, he's not going to allow that temptation to be more than you can stand. Well, wait a second. Then why do we give in to sin? The devil made me do it, right? The devil couldn't make Jesus sin, and the devil can't make you sin. He'll not allow temptation to be more than you can stand, and when you're tempted, He'll show you a way out so that you can endure. He'll show you a way out so you can endure. Doesn't mean the temptation isn't strong. Doesn't mean that you're not going to be really pushed to give into it. It means that when you're at that point where you're like, this temptation is so strong, there is another choice. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're like, that wasn't a temptation. I'm good. I'm never going to lose my temper again. (laughs) I'm never going to be dragged down that road again. I'm never going to worry or fear again. No, there's going to be plenty of temptations. It's that the temptation will not be your only choice. God will never get you to a place where giving into that temptation was your only option. I'm going to say that again. You will never be in a place where the temptation to sin against God will be your only choice. It will be heavy. There will be many of them. But God is faithful that when you get to a place where that temptation is so heavy that you're like, I can't withstand this anymore, there will be another path. There will be God's option for your life. And if you're sitting there going, Pastor Josh, I don't understand why God even lets me have these temptations. Why would God allow his son Jesus to be tempted by Satan? Why would God allow me to go through these struggles like this? Why? It doesn't, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like it would work. It doesn't seem like it makes sense. It doesn't seem like... Like he actually loves me because this is the thing. God is giving you the option to choose that temptation or to choose his path. He's not going to force you to love him. He's not going to force you to trust him. He's going to give you the opportunity to make that choice on your own. He wants good for you, and so he's provided a good path. But he won't force you onto that path. He's letting you choose it. And right now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, Satan will give you a hundred paths that appeal to the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, the pride of your life. But God will say, hey, I've got a path for you as well. And it's going to come down to who you trust. That's why James says this. And if this gives you any kind of encouragement, any kind of strength, maybe you write this verse down. It says, we know that your faith is tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow. If our faith wasn't being tested, we wouldn't be growing. It's the things that's, that are a struggle. It's the, it's the call to say, I'm sorry, even when they haven't apologized. That tests it. God told me to forgive. God told me to love. But all of these paths to anger, to bitterness, to self-righteousness, to this idea that I can do it in my own, that's what I mean. All of these things seem so much easier than this path that Jesus laid out. To love the people that don't love me back to go and reach out to people, to love others more than I love myself. That's going to require you to step out on faith. Your endurance grows when your faith is tested. If it was easy to love that person, it wouldn't grow you. If it was easy to put God first in your finances, it wouldn't grow you. If it was easy to tell your flesh no and to set, aside a t- set time aside to read or to pray, you wouldn't grow. It's always going to be a struggle. It's going to be a test because that's how you grow. The faith part is your choice. Today, I'd invite you to invite God in out of faith. God, let me trust you. Would you put your faith in him today? Would you put your faith in Jesus today? Would you trust what God has done for you to create an opportunity for you to know him better, to have the right path? I'm going to pray out loud. Would you pray right there at your seat? If you would, just bow your head. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to know you. God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you. God, thank you for the fact that you didn't give in to Satan. You didn't forfeit the work of the cross just for an easy solution. You didn't give in to the temptations that presented themselves so easily. We're so vulnerable, and God, we ask that you would help us not say yes to those things, but instead say yes to you. God, would you be with the person under the sound of my voice right now that's struggling to say yes to you for the first time? God, I know there's somebody who hasn't ever really put their faith in you. They haven't trusted you as their Savior. Would they find the courage and the strength to right now invite you into their life? God, I pray that that person would just start a relationship with you by admitting that they've sinned and opening up their life, their heart to you. God, I pray for every person in this room who's struggling to to beat the temptation, God, that they wouldn't leave here trying to beat it in their own power, but God, instead would leave here drawing close to you in your power. Would you speak into us? Would you show us ways that we could be more like Christ? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com slash give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.